Hey guys, you're listening to She's Obsessed, the podcast, and I'm your host, Jamelia Donaldson, also known as Jamelia is Obsessed. In this week's episode, or should I say this month's episode, oops, I'm speaking with Andy Davis, the founder of Pitch Black, an IG series which is hosted on IGTV with various black founders. In our episode, we speak about my upbringing, how school impacted my outlook slash life today, the necessity of black sisterhood, my habit of making myself uncomfortable through unknown and new experiences, my love for New York, vulnerability and what happens if you stop playing safe and just go for it, my transition from part-time to full-time running treasure chests, my early failures, paying attention to the customer and the role of mentors. This episode, I would say, is probably one of the most personal and most dynamic. We talk a lot about personal and then we transition seamlessly into professional. So I hope you enjoy it. There are loads of gems and there's definitely a part two because we spoke for a minute. So I hope you enjoy. Let's go. I'm Andy. I'm Andy. Um, I guess host or whatever one wants to call me of Pitch Black. Pitch Black is a weekly IG show I do with um, incredible black founders and yeah, we discuss where they're from, like how they come up with their businesses and and like the future of businesses as well. I'm an angel investor at Venture Fund called Atomico, co-founder of a group of black founders and investors called 10X10 um, and raising the fund 10X10 funds invest in black, early stage black founders. That's um, a bit on me and today we've got one of my favorite entrepreneurs one of my favorite people actually i think someone i get someone i'm blessed to have like um to talk to a few times a year because she's so she's so busy building a great empire and um doesn't have any time for me basically um, <laughs> um a, a friend i hope in jamelia founder of chess chess hey jay do you want to introduce yourself briefly Hi Andy, hi guys, thanks for having me. My name's Jamelia, I'm founder of Treasure Chess, which is Europe's largest monthly product discovery box for women and girls with naturally kinky curly hair. If you pay 20 pounds, we deliver the latest and greatest natural hair products direct to your door. And in addition to Treasure Chess and almost as a byproduct of Treasure Chess, we launched the Teen Experience, which is a series of personal development workshops for black mixed race teen girls between the ages of 12 to 19. Boom. Good. So, good. Um, good. So let's let's start. Jay, where are you from? Where's your family from? My family's Jamaican. My mum's Jamaican, my dad's Jamaican. Um they were both born here, went to the Caribbean for school and then came back. Um to start a family. That's our family. Um so you were born here? Yeah, yeah. Where were you born? Um, North Middlesex. In Middlesex? Yeah. Where in Middlesex? North. When, when did you meet Enfield? Which, which age? Why, how old are you? Um, I think I was about 11. Okay, so you did second Enfield? Yeah, yeah. I done primary school in Edmonton, secondary school in Enfield. College in Palmer's Green, which is pretty much Enfield. And then I went to Birmingham for university. You went to Birmingham for university. Um, how, was, how was that going up in Enfield? Um, it was cool. I mean, I was literally about 10 minutes from my old house and from my cousins who live in Edmonton. So yeah, it was fine. I don't remember anything negative about it. I think 
the only thing that was a bit of a mixed experience was secondary school. Um, going to an all-girls school, but going to a predominantly white all-girls school, which, which is what I thought was quite an interesting experience. Um, but away from that, yeah, growing up in Edmonton, Enfield was cool. That's so interesting. You went to a white all-girls school. What is going to a white all-girls school? Give us a pro and con of going to a white all-girls school. Today, and like, like whilst being there and then in reflection today. Um, a pro of going to a white all-girls school. So, so you, haven't, you haven't got to do a con, right? But tell us something. Give us a little insight about going to white all-girls school as a um, black British Jamaican heritage um, young black woman growing up, and then today as like a black entrepreneur, how it like how it how, how it shaped you, how it how what, what it meant for you then, and what how it shaped you today. Um, what it meant for me then was that I think I became hyper aware that I was a black girl. Because yeah. before then, I was like, obviously, I knew where I was from. Yeah. Um, if you speak to my mum, she would always say that I've always been very proud to be a black girl yeah. and now a black woman. So I think when I got to school, I think that was the first time that I realised how extreme the cultural differences can be between races. Yeah. But I also learned quite quickly the stereotypes that come with being a black woman and being yeah. a young woman. So, for example, if there was me and a group of other black girls that were like hanging out outside McDonald's, as you do, when you go to an all-girls school and you want to see boys, um, there would be a teacher that would come along and she would classify us as a gang or she would say, yeah, I saw you and a gang of girls. And then in assembly, it would be, can gangs please not X, Y, Z? But we were not a gang. We were literally just a group of friends who happened to be predominantly black. So I think it made me very aware of the stereotypes that come with being a black female. Um, my mum also reminds me often of a conversation that she had with a teacher whereby when I got to the school in year eight, I was like one of the best performing. By the time I got to year 10, they were saying that they weren't sure whether or not I was going to get all C's in my GCSEs. And my mum's a teacher, so yeah, she wasn't going to have that. She was like, I'm not quite sure how my child came into your school performing at this level. And then by year 10, you're telling me that she's performing at this level. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, I learned quite quickly why she kept telling me to work twice as hard as a black woman and she, why she kept having these conversations with me to make me hyper aware of my race. Yeah. And I think prior to that, I'd taken it for granted. And I just thought, oh, whatever, like, I'm black. You know, my, my family's black. <laughs> my friends are black. I just thought it was the norm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the first time that I became aware of the stereotypes that come with being a black woman. Yeah. The so, negative stereotypes, I should say. Negative stereotypes. So, um, in Sweden, just to jump forward a bit and then we'll, we'll go back. Um, you as a, an incredible black entrepreneur today, that how, and the black female entrepreneur, how was that? How was going to how did going to a white girls school shape you today? How, how has it impacted you? Um, I think being aware of how negatively black women can be perceived or even portrayed, I think that's what has lent me so heavily towards catering to that market in particular, but then also reinforcing and lifting up women. I can't take responsibility for our Instagram page, that's definitely Liam. Um, but I think the language that we use, the way that we communicate with our customers, the way that we interact with our customers is very telling of our own experiences growing up in similar areas, um, but also just how important we know it is to lift black women up in language, in service, um, in community. So I think, yeah, being a minority for so long and having everything blown out of proportion and everything just seen through the lens of race quite early on, I think it's really helped me understand how much black womanhood and black sisterhood is important and that it's not optional, it's absolutely necessary and we deserve spaces for us.
Yeah, 100%. Right. Um, and thanks for sharing that. So, um, you went to uni in Bromley, Birmingham. Uh, why did you leave London? Um, so that isn't a question saying people shouldn't leave London. That's just a question because you mean you're for London. <laughs> I like to make myself uncomfortable. So, sometimes I just do really random things. Like, all of my friends done A-levels and I decided I wanted to do the IB. Um, and doing the IB meant I was going to a school where I knew no one and there was literally six black people in my year. <laughs> um, but for me, it was a way to make myself uncomfortable and just to force me to grow. Because when I was younger, I was very confident. And then early teens, I like really became extremely shy. Um, and so I think it was just my way of making sure that I came out of that shell. So yeah, I made myself really uncomfortable for the first time going to that sixth form. And then the second time, look at Renee, she couldn't wait for me to mention Birmingham. Oh. <laughs> and then the second time I decided to go Brum because um, I wanted to move outside of London. I wanted to challenge myself again and I wanted to meet a completely different set of people. Um, yeah, I feel like in my area, everyone kind of knows everyone. I've got an older brother, so I always kind of lived in his shadow when I was in secondary school. Um, so I just wanted to kind of like find out who Jamelia is if she's completely removed from the environment that she's comfortable in. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of the best decisions that I made. How, how, how um, old is your older brother? How much older? Uh, three years. Three years older, okay, sure. Yeah. So, um, okay, what did you study at Birmingham? I'm at Maureen from. Um, I studied business and international relations, but I actually didn't intend on studying that course. I actually wanted to do law. Okay, so a bit of insight for those who don't know um, about Birmingham University. That is where you go to, Maury says, is where you go to to meet South London, basically. Um, that's and what you also, that's exactly, Aston University, not UOB. Aston University. Aston University, shout out Aston. Um, uh, so, what, so, what did you study? Um, I studied business and international relations, but I wanted to study law. But, I mean, my French isn't <laughs> the best. And with the IB, you have to study, I think it's seven in total. Yeah. Um, and one of them has to be a language, and I chose French. And I mean, I didn't do very well in the French exam, which made me miss the, the um, criteria for the law degree very narrowly. So I had to choose a different degree. I chose international relations because it had international in it, and I like traveling. And I just thought, oh, well, I mean, there must be some travel involved if it says international. And then business was just like the extra add on that came with it. So I was like, oh, why not? Let me just do both. Sure. So you did three or four years? I'd done four years, four years. I'd done a placement year abroad. Where'd you go? I went Beijing for a month and then New York for eight months and then came back and done finance in London. Okay. Um, so before we move on past the degree, you started business international relations and mm -hmm. go to Beijing um, and New York, incredible cities, right? Um, we've spoken like new york we're just fans of and just love the culture and the energy um studying business how much do you think that shaped you today like studying business i think like there's this like um idea in the theory around like businesses is just like kind of studying business isn't like best use of time actually and we, we all know you learn the most in business by doing business how helpful was studying business for you as an entrepreneur i don't think it was very helpful i'm not gonna lie I I remember very little from my degree. I yeah. think the best thing about business was that it was a requirement to get a year's industry experience. That was the best thing that I got from my business degree. Yeah. Anything else is either redundant now, like everything that we learned in marketing is pretty much redundant now. Um, 
there are certain like equations or like terminology that I think, oh yeah, I remember um, a lecture about that. But generally speaking, for me, I think university is very little about the degree and much more about who it forces you to become and yeah. the personal development and that journey that it causes you to embark on. So for me, it was like the place where I learned what I did like, what I didn't like, what I was curious about, what I didn't really care about. Um, what my limitations were as a person and where I could grow. That's what university was about for me. It wasn't about what can I learn from this degree to get me a really good job because I don't really remember much from my degree. Yeah, gotcha. So, and uh, uh, there are people in the comments who agree and I agree as well. Um, no, I didn't finish university. I didn't spend more probably long. Um, after uni, finance, where'd you go? <laughs> Blackrock. Blackrock. Oh, Blackrock. How was, how was it at Blackrock? I really liked it, you know. I went there after, so I went there as an intern after I got back from New York, New York because I'd been interning for a whole year without getting paid and I needed to get some money. So I went to finance business operations, um, which was cool. I was there, I was meant to be for a month. They asked me to stay for two months, yeah. went back to uni and then came back to join their graduate scheme. I really enjoyed it because it was a rotational program. So you didn't join in one role. You had to go into a, into a variety of different roles, which I really, really liked. Yeah. Um, I think I liked working with such clever people. I think, again, it challenged me culturally because I was working with predominantly white men, um, yeah. which obviously I'm familiar with work, working with white men. I mean, we live in England, but I think it was a very strong contrast to New York. Like, Living in New York and working in a somewhat creative industry and then coming to London and working in corporate in the city are two completely different experiences. Um, and I think I learned so much as far as like how to progress in a career through the corporate world or even just having friends who were males and learning about how much they were getting paid versus how much I was getting paid. Like there's just so many like theories that you study and so many conversations that you see happen, but it's not until you're actually in it that you're like, oh wow, it really is true. Like there are workplace biases. Um, you do have to like go out and ask for what you want. You have to go out and ask for a promotion. You don't just get a promotion. Like there were so many different things that I learned. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. It's interesting. Um, uh, not to like dwell on New York and stuff, but. I feel like the first time I went to New York, I remember I was there, my brothers are from New York, my older brothers, and um, I think I was there for two months or so, two months or something. I left, and I've always been like hungry, hardworking, obsessive, but then that New York energy was so real to me, it was like I related to it immediately. That drive, that, that, that energy to just go, and yeah, you should, you should definitely rest and be your best self, but when you're, when you're in gear, you have to just go, right? Like, um, I love New York, I like, love New York so much, and even part of me this year, I was like, I miss that. Be able to just go to New York um, and get that and just be reminded of that energy again and, and bring it back. Uh, what do you take from New York? Your time in New York? Eight months is a long time, I think. Oh my God! What do I take from New York, or what did I take from my time in New York? What do you take from your time in New York? Yeah, I love that. Oh like I realize. I, I love how I asked her a question and she just asked her own question. It's good. No, my first time in New York, I realized, wow like anything can happen and you can literally have anything you want like so many random things happened i was at my internship my first internship and the crew for love and hip-hop turned up and the lady was like hey do you want to be in it i was like yeah sure so i was like an extra in the background like listening to them prompt the t prompt the um, cast on what to say and pretending it was a normal argument which was really fun then another internship i moved around quite a bit another internship 
I was then sent to meet Amber Rose to give her stylist something. And then randomly met Tyson Bedford. Like I just kept randomly meeting so many different people. And I just thought, wow, like in London, I don't feel like I'm in such close proximity to anyone at all. And just, yeah, it's just like this fearlessness that people in New York have and just the way that everyone is so interconnected. Like um, literally we were chilling a housemate said, oh, look, BJ Coleman's looking for an assistant. Who's up for it? And I was like, oh, I'll do it. And then BJ's the one that introduced me to like Tyson Bedford and Amber Rose and all of these other people. And I was like, oh, wow, like everyone is actually accessible. It's just a matter of making connections, maintaining connections and just building a really good reputation. But I think New York will make you humble as hell. Like if you go to New York thinking that you're somebody, you will come back knowing that you're nobody. <laughs> like they don't respect no one. Like don't they actually don't respect no one. <laughs> You have to earn the respect. You, you absolutely have to. Absolutely like, have to. I feel like in, I know, we're not going to do it on our culture here, right? Like, we've got great black culture growing here in the UK. And mm -hmm. um, people like yourself at the forefront and, and, the, and the business side, of course, right? And um, on the ambition side and the achievement side of things. And we have all these other parts of our culture where um, there is a lot of energy around, around sometimes around, around clout and around um, just uh, around clout and stuff, I think. And I think. Um, I know, like in New York, it's it's more earned, but there's a hustle there, and we've got so many New York lovers in here, right? And isn't that New York lovers? It's it's unsurprising that it's like that is that dual. It's like Maury, um, that is that Vanessa, it's like us who are like, yo, New York is that energy is very raw. That's who that's in our DNA, and it isn't New York energy. It's the type of way to be the, the way to be that's in our DNA, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we need to see more of that here. Like I say all the time, like we need to just do. I think mean, Asia said it on um on saturday night but like um just let's let's talk in more and march and stuff and i think we have to, we just have to do and produce and be about and be about whatever we say we're about um yeah. show, that, show that in action um yeah so that was the day you had shout out to new york city um <laughs> i love that place honestly like i don't i don't know how i've gotten through this year without visiting there because i feel like i literally go there to recharge like awesome. i think i'm driven when i come when i'm in london and then i get to new york and I see the way that people move, the way that people interact. Yeah. And what I love about New York is something that I found so intimidating at first. Like, no one cares about no one in New York. Yeah. Like, you can walk down the street naked and no one's going to blink or look at you twice. Like, no one cares. Everyone just minds their own business and is just on growing their own business and is on their hustle. And, like, I think yeah, there's something very vulnerable and very courageous about being that independent and being that self-assured that you're like, I'm gonna go for this 100%. I'm not gonna go halfway, I'm gonna give it everything that I've got. And I think maybe that even influenced my decision to take Treasure Chest full time because I thought, what happens if, with this thing if I just give it everything? Like what happens if I yeah, yeah, stop trying to play the safe game and just go for it? Like, I don't think there's anything else in my life that I've gone for 100%. So yeah. I thought, why not try it with this thing? Yeah. And that's so interesting. And last with me on New York, I remember 2010 or something, I went to you guys, I was emailed some startup email list, I was like, yo, go to New York, does anyone know anyone? And there's like 10,000 people who replied like, yeah, I've got this connection, we've got this connection, so we'll see you as the top startups now. And, um, mm -hmm. and I remember some of these VC farmers like, oh, you, you pass by, we're going to just talk, we're, we're open, we'll have, have a conversation, just tell, tell you a bit about adventure. And I was like, okay, cool. And then got there, and they're like, do you want to spend a week here? And it's just, it's that energy. It's that like, you know, if you're committed, like we, we ride and we go, right? Um, mm -hmm. new energy, more new energy to London, and not just in like us individuals here in this chat and the people we know, but to bring it everywhere just to our whole culture. Um, 
but yeah um yes yeah. <laughs> i think new york also teaches you to like be ready and stay ready yeah like, my when i started working for bj he was like jamelia every time you come to my office bring heels you never know what we're gonna do today and i was thinking right <laughs> like i can't really walk in heels too good but i mean if we're going to meet someone important i'm putting on them heels so i think that just taught me to like just just stay ready so you don't have to get ready yeah. in every aspect of life that's to be my analogy to everyone now. I like, yeah, when you come to office, bring yours. That's that new <laughs> That's that new energy. That's the analogy now. Um, um, good. So, BlackRock, which years were you there? Um, I want to say 2012 to 2015. 2012, 2015. Um, you, when did you start Children's Trust? How did the idea come about? So, I was in New York. And um, subscription boxes were on the rise. I was hearing about Birch Block, Box, Glossy Box, um, which started a bit later actually, Dollar Shave Club, and then there was one for dog food. And then as I started researching it more, I was like, rah, there's literally subscription boxes for everything. And then there started being subscription boxes for black women. And I was like, this is so dope. But I was like, at the same time, even saying the phrase black women would have been controversial in the UK. So I was like, how, how does, what does it look like to create something for black women in a country that's so scared to talk about race? Like, how is that gonna work? Um, but then at the same time, I was like, it's amazing that finally black women get to take part in these, not even crazes, but these shopping experiences, these consumer experiences, which are actually like exciting and luxurious at the same time when the shopping experience for black women traditionally is not luxurious in the slightest. Um, so I was like, what happened? What would that look like? Then I looked at the UK and I think we had a few like makeup or like makeup and hair boxes which were starting out, but they would start and then they wouldn't last as long. So I was like, okay, cool. Let me go back to London. Let me earn some money first of all. Um, and then let me see if I can start working with this idea. So then I invited some of my friends around when I got back to London and I put like a, a shower comb, a shampoo, a conditioner, a leave-in conditioner, oil in a box and I was like, how much would you pay for this? And they were telling me the price, I was like, oh, would you pay 20 pound a month for it? Um, and they were like, to be honest, Jamelia, yeah, if you were giving it to me, I would, because I know how much you love hair and I know how much you research products. So I would trust you with it. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I started thinking of, oh, actually, it's a really good way for me to scale the advice that people keep asking me about natural hair, because natural hair at the time was, it was still natural hair because I wasn't allowed to relax my hair, but I used to straighten my hair. Um, and then it's not, I didn't start wearing my hair unstraightened, so without being manipulated by heat until I was in second year of uni as a result of watching YouTube videos and doing a ton of research. And so as I started to go through that journey, my friends started to go through that journey with me and like my family members as well. So I saw Treasure Trust as a way to help everyone at the same time without having to um, sit down with them one-to-one -one and say, hey, go to Pax and buy this product or go to Shabra and buy this product. And wash your hair this number of times a week. Um, so it was a way to kill two birds with stone, one stone, like to um, satisfy my curiosity as far as subscription boxes, but then to genuinely help offer advice and create a shared experience for me, my friends and women that look like us. Super dope. Which, um, do you remember exactly when it was that you sat down with your friends in that room? Oh, I want to say probably 2014. I've actually got some pictures from when I had um, some help designing what the boxes would look like, they were absolutely horrendous. Um, so I want to say, yeah, maybe like 2014, I would say. Sure, so, so, so 2014, and when did the business, when did you actually start, when did you ship your, send out your first product? And what was that project? 
like for you? First time founder, right? First time founder. Yeah. Um, started November the 15th, 2015. That's when the website went live. Yeah. Which means that we would have shipped the first boxes the first week of December 2015. Sure. So first week of December 2015. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And just in time for Christmas, then how many boxes did you ship out then? Like, what, 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 what was the expectation? First time doing this. Um, what did you think? Did you market online first? Did you get a box ready and then tell people about it? Was there, was you trying to build hype before then? What, what, was, what was happening? So I was trying to build hype before then. Um, when I was still working at BlackRock and the idea was still quite fresh, I started the Instagram page. So I would literally just upload pictures of black women with natural hair as inspiration because I wanted to see images like that and I'm sure other people did as well. And then eventually on that page, I created a link to a landing page. And on that landing page was a survey to say, um, hey, what are your favorite brands? Where do you live? Would you like to buy this box for you or your mini me? Because in my mind, as much as I was helping friends and family, my main goal was that I didn't want young black girls to grow up in a society where they thought their hair was problematic. Yeah. So I thought, oh, if I create a box that also focuses on them, then, um, then I'll help solve that problem. Yeah. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll do boxes for mini me at first. Then I done that landing page and a lot of the women were signing up for me versus mini me, yeah. which is why when we launched, we launched with three boxes, mini me, tween and cream boxes so that we were catered to kids, teenagers, and then adults as well. Um, was that, was, did that answer your question? What's your question again? Um, so, so yes, it did. Um, it did, right? Um, so getting people to go to work, like starting off with content, natural hair content, taking them to yeah. landing page 100%. Um, and when you started, you still didn't work at BlackRock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, did you tell anyone at work about the about Chess and Chess? Um, no, Andy, I worked with white men. They didn't have a clue. <laughs> I think even when I did tell them in my leaving speech, they said, Jamelia, really good luck with this fashion business. And I said, <laughs> guys, it's not a fashion business, but thank you. <laughs> so even when I did tell them, they didn't have a clue what I was talking about. And it wasn't even that they were being horrible, like they just generally did not see what issue I was solving. Yeah. Um, and you told them when you were leaving to do, to do this. Like, at what point did you leave to do this full time? Um, I would say about eight months in. Eight months and in. And the, the advice, in my personal opinion, that I always offer is if I could have worked full time and run Treasure Trust, I would be doing that because more revenue streams, why not stability and entrepreneurship at the same time? Amazing. Um, but I couldn't because I physically could not handle it. Yeah. So I was waking up to write pitch decks for brands at like 5am, working till 6, getting ready for work. Um, at the time I was working in portfolio compliance, so I had to be there by 7.30, 7 o'clock. We'd get there just on time. Um, work till 7pm, the shifts were quite long in that department get home, stay up to about 1am and then just kept doing that. And then weekends were spent like customer service, um, packing boxes, taking them to the post office, sourcing packaging. Like it was just nonstop. Yeah. And it got to the point where I was losing mad weight, terrible bags under my eyes, skin was breaking out. I just looked horrible. And I felt like completely burnt out. Um, and so I had to have a conversation with myself whereby I was like, you, you can't keep doing this. Like you have to do one or the other. And I was 23, I didn't have any major, major commitments. I didn't have any kids. Um, so I was like, what would happen if I just took this risk on myself right now? Um, bearing in mind that I've got three years experience in the industry. If I needed to go back, I have a 
good enough relationship with my team to be able to go back. But I was just like, what would happen if I just done it? So yeah, I quit. Um, I tried to quit, but first time, but I had told my friends and family before I'd done it, which is the biggest mistake you could make because then everyone starts projecting their fears, not because they want to be horrible, but because they genuinely care. Yeah. So I got talked out of quitting the first time. <laughs> and then the second time, I just done it. And then I told everyone, oh, by the way, tomorrow's my last day. And how was, what was your reaction then? Oh. Because what else can you say, really? <laughs> what else can you say? Um, and thanks for sharing that. Let's go back a little bit, right? So two things. One is, I want to touch on... And it's something I say all the time. Like, I think we we are part of an era of black founders, especially that we just we dive deep into our startup full time and mm-hmm. a lot of savings and um, without, without stability, really, um, and without um, a bank or a family bank to rely on. Um, yeah. just, we want to hit home on that, right? Like it is, so, in my opinion, it's so important that as black founders, especially we we have that stability and that we if it's the two job thing if it's you i say all the time you pattern things whilst you're in your job to the point where you've got at least nine months of one way one way means um money that you can survive on you and the business can survive on um excluding revenue um to give it a little go and that way you don't, you're not just taking the leap it goes it goes all goes down the drain and then um you lose your savings and all this stuff and you have nothing at the end, end of the day right i think that's really important. And you hit home on that, saying that actually, like, if you go back, you do it full time. And you, you, which you were, um, you talk a bit to that. And also, actually, to the importance of, the, and the difference, what happens that, and I said, when you're part time, you go full time, the whole world changes. It's almost like you think that what you're doing part time, you're, you're just going to, you're going to be full time. So you do double the amount. No, other things are happening. Things start dropping from the sky for no reason. <laughs> right? Uh, Honestly. Oh, it's not just me. It's so mad how that happens. You literally think, I'm going to do double what I'm doing now because I'm doing double the hours. Then Sky drops, boom! You're like, oh, okay, hey Sky. Can you talk to that, please? Um, sure. So your first question was about like what the transition is like when going from full t- part part time in your business to full time in your business, and what financially are done to prepare. No, so 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 let's take that away. So let's go. Um, the importance of if we could go back, if we could go back, um, you would. You should hope you would, you would change anything, but actually, it's just the importance of having that financial stability before you take the deep yeah. dive, uh, and then we can go to that part time to full time. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I think having the financial stability is really important for me. I know that how I prepared was just saving like a mad woman, like literally, no less than half of my paycheck every single month just went save, straight into my savings. Because, as you said, I knew that I needed to be able to cover my life expenses at an absolute minimum. Um, Treasure Trust wasn't yet profitable, so that wasn't going to do it. Um, so, yeah, I that's the way that I prepared myself. Advice that I would give to others is to do both. <laughs> to do both, and if you can't, then do what Andy said and save up at least nine months runway, so that you, so that your mind's not focused on how you're going to pay your next bill, but instead it's how you're going to create the best product. Because yeah. I feel like being conscious about money or being insecure about money or just worried about money completely hinders your creativity. And I think as an entrepreneur, a first time founder, your creativity, that's like your gold. Like that is, that's the secret recipe. That is your magic. So for anything to compromise your creativity, it's just not worth it. You need to find a way to create room, create space for yourself to be as creative as you can be 
to be as analytical as you can be to make to give this thing the best go if you're worried about how you're going to eat and how you're going to pay your phone bill you're just not going to be able to do it so i think you'll be doing yourself a disservice anyway and i think patience is something that's definitely underrated and i'm conscious that entrepreneurship is 100 percent glorified i think it's glorified in so many ways i think it's glorified in that how people perceive the life of an entrepreneur to be of just like interviews and like photo shoots and travel and like fancy meetings. Um, I think it's misinterpreted in terms of like who it, how much it actually takes. Like, I think a lot of the time people may see me and think that Treasure Trust is just my work when Treasure Trust is actually not just my work. The most important parts of the company um, that the customer sees are actually run by people on my team who are just amazing at doing their job. And I get to have a part in it occasionally, but most of the time my focus is on making sure that everyone's paid and making sure that we get the best clients and making sure that we keep our clients happy. Um, so I think, yeah, entrepreneurship is highly glorified and I think it's actually quite toxic, especially given that, as you said, a lot of black families don't have the bank of mum and dad. So we don't have the bank of mum and dad where we can be quite impatient. And then we're also glorifying this thing, which is actually extremely risky, um, but extremely rewarding as well. So, yeah, I think entrepreneurship is an interesting one. It does frustrate me when like people perceive it to be this extremely exciting and glamorous thing. Cause I'm like, that's not my reality. Like so, so, I had some by Felicia braids in my hair this morning. Absolutely no makeup was on a call for about four hours talking about balance sheets, P and L's and the revenue of the company. And it was boring as hell. Um, but then I had to get myself together quickly for the life. Um, so I think the part that happens beforehand, no one really sees. And all it is, is really spreadsheets, if I'm being completely honest. Spreadsheets and emails. Um, but I think there is this perception of it being super glamorous. And that's not to say that I don't extremely enjoy my job and I don't extremely enjoy or appreciate the role that I play. Um, but I think it's just important to provide balance and to provide context. 100%. 100%. So listen, the stuff, the work we do, for everyone else especially, um, Every day is different in our lives, and every day is a blessing, and um, we're very proud and happy to be here and work hard, mm -hmm. uh, 100%. But this is, and Jamini said glorified, I think it's over-glorified. Like, in glorified, that's what meant, but 100%, all the stuff is over-glorified. People see founders, investors, whoever, and they go, oh, like, I want to be that person, I want to be there. Like, I wish you could do an internship in my life for, for, for three days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, no, you know how many times I'm just like, I wish I had a co-founder, or I wish I worked at Treasure Dress <laughs> rather than running it, because like it's, it's hard, I'm not going to lie. It's also a lot of pressure, and I think when you care deeply about what you do and who you do it with, I think it creates this extra level of pressure that you just put on yourself, yeah. because you never want to let anyone down. You don't want to let your community down, you don't want to let your customer down, you don't want to let your team down, you want everyone to win. Um, which, yeah, I know that I'm particularly hard on myself as an individual as it is. So having those extra layers of pressure, is, it can be quite intense sometimes. So, so can we talk a bit, we'll get to business, right? can we talk a bit about like that side of things? Like, so, so caring deeply, I say all the time, like, like people ask me, oh, like, how do you do X or Y or whatever it is? And I'm just, I always say it. it's like the most important ingredient is care, right? And the, when I interview people, when I'm hiring my startups, when I was hiring, like, to help people get into venture stuff, I always ask, what, the last question is always the same, what do you care about deeply, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so important, right? Because if you don't care about this deeply, and you're not obsessed, this is going to be, you're about to, you're about to, jump, you're about to jump on a really spiky road, right? And um, mm -hmm. you're flat immediately, and, and you won't be able to go back, because then all of a sudden the door closes behind you, and 
definitely getting yourself into you. And if you care deeply enough about it, you'll be able to push through, right? Um, we talked to Kevin deeply and what obsession, and in, in your, your experience, your life, what obsession and caring deeply means. Yeah, I think caring deeply for me means, I think it's how you behave when no one's watching. It means the work that you're doing when no one's watching, the work that you're doing that will only help others and won't necessarily help you. I think caring deeply is always thinking of the bigger picture, appreciating the nuances that come with it. Um, being protective as well, because our consumers, the black woman, and I'm a black woman, and I come from a black woman. So I think for me, it's all, it's like, it's in my DNA, it's biological for me, but it's also extremely emotional. So I think caring deeply is just like embodying it, being it, and just not being able to take your mind off of it. Like nothing can really sway you. Yeah. Like no, no one can dangle anything in front of you that would entice you to stop what you're doing or that would entice you to compromise what you're doing. I think that's what caring deeply means. 100% agree. And it's like, um, like, like I said all the time, I, I'm, never, I'm never really happy. With, like, I appreciate every, like, all the work that we all do and all the work I do, but I'm never really happy or satisfied. Like I say all the time, I've got, I say like, oh, I've got thousands of emails and people are like, oh yeah, and always I'm best to say, oh yeah, but everyone has thousands of emails, you're not meant to get to them get to like 1% or, or 10% of them. And I'm like, it's so different. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm serving my people, I'm serving my culture. We don't have, mm. there are too many of me at this time. Like, yeah. I, I'm letting them down, right? Like, mm. and that's it on my mind 24 seven, right? And um, I feel bad, every single, I honestly feel bad every single day. I'm like, I am not getting back to people's messages. I'm not getting back to people's emails. Like enough of them, I, I'm trying my best. I'm trying and doing my best. And hopefully it's Christmas period, I'm gonna be able to, Systemize and structure things. I feel like that's exactly what you said, right? We have to, you have to just care about it. it's twenty four seven. Nothing can sway you, and you're not going to be happy until you're until the people you're serving are happy and satisfied. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, 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 that's what that's what caring deeply is. And um, yeah. I, when I meet people who care deeply, I can just tell. I can tell. Like people ask me who I want to invest in, or someone say obsessed people. That's it. Like mm-hmm. my DNA. That's I have to. Those people have to be around me. Uh, like I have to be around those people. That's how you grow. I think if everyone here just going meet a group of obsessed people who are obsessed with whatever it is they're doing and like you will learn how to thrive and you take parts of of them um just hello <laughs> um, um this is why jane and i get along so i think sorry more context jimmy and i met for the first time probably like two years ago like very like high, short highs and stuff we then met up i think once or twice once we met up for the first time the week before lockdown in shoreditch Oh my god, was that the week before lockdown? It was the week before lockdown. Remember, we were like dead as hell. We met at the door. We met at, we went to a, 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 a hotel or whatever. The coffee shop, what was it? That startup hotel charging for Wi Fi nonsense place. Anyway, so, so um, and we, spoke, we, spoke, we didn't even speak about, we spoke about like our background, who we are, but we, and just personal stuff. We didn't even talk about like business and stuff, whatever. but like I think, um, again, this one, this one's done, right? It's, it's, um, and we spoke a few times this year. And, we should, and obviously we'll talk more going forward, but it's, this is what it's about. It's just about finding people who, like you meet them, you can trust that they're about what they say they're about. And, uh, and they really care and mm-hmm. they really care about what they're doing and, and they're mission driven, right, ultimately. Um, chairs of chess, so. But just for a second, and thanks for a side, because I actually get onto you a lot, but it's just because you get onto me. But I think that what you do is absolutely amazing. And I think that 
for me, anytime that I've needed to speak to you, you've always been readily available. So yeah, I definitely want to thank you for that because I think what you do does make a massive impact. Um, and if I was to think about 2019, 2020, two pe three people that have changed my lives would definitely be you, Andy, I am, and Mads, 100%. Like knowing you three has helped me so much on my entrepreneurship journey. Oh, thank you for that. And Sarah, Andy, I am, and Mads, uh, incredible brothers of ours. And um, <laughs> you know what, honest you, I remember the last time you caught, I remember the last time you called me one morning, it was about eight something in the morning, right? And you're like, I was like, hey, how, you're like, hey, how are you? And I was like, what do you want? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I love talking to you. I literally every time I got to phone to you, no word delay. I'm like, oh damn, like I need to get on my shit. I'm like, oh shit, I need to go. And, 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 really? That's what I think. I like, think like, what's Andy gonna ask me that I don't know the answer to? Let me find it out. But no, so I'm like, actually, I need to get on. You just inspire me, and um, like I want to be you, and like, and I, I, I get that's why I want to surround myself with great people. Um, it was just pushing that level. Um, so thank you for oh, for two always being here as well, right? Um. Yeah, so oh, we started business in 2015. <laughs> we launched late 2015. We leave our, we leave a job summer about summer, spring, summer, summer 2016. Um, how does the first year go? What's the goal for the first year? How, how does it go? I think the first year was to get 100 subscribers. Um, as soon as I quit my job, it went terribly. Um, why? I lost so many subscribers. Why? Yeah. I don't know. Actually, no, I do know. I now know that it's like a seasonal thing. So there's peaks and troughs in the year when people are more inclined to subscribe, when they're more inclined to pause or cancel. Um, but I think what for me was really, <laughs> really intense was the fact that because I was the only person running the business, I was doing everything, which meant that I was getting all of the feedback and everyone doesn't love every product and everyone's parcel's not gonna arrive on time. And I was dealing with all of that and then seeing cancellations and being like, oh my days, like, I know that I don't have any money coming in. How the hell am I going to keep this going? So it was horrible. I remember the day after I quit my job and I just sat in my room looking at the calendar of the month and I was like, right, so what do I do now? Because before I never used to have this time and all I wanted was this time. And now I have this time and I don't actually know what to do with it. How do I feel this time? Like, what do I actually do next? What's my, what's my most, what's my best next step? Like, what should I do? Yeah. Um, so I think I just threw, threw myself into learning. Like any book about subscriptions, found it. Any podcast about startups, listen to it. Anything about marketing, side hustling. I just consumed so much information. Um, but I also just think it's amazing how when you put yourself in certain positions and when you really go after certain things, things just happen completely outside of your control. So one example is one summer I saved up no, I think I used savings because I didn't have any money to save up. I used my savings to go to Atlanta to go to an industry event. Um, and then I was in the airport and I was waiting for my flight. But I was in the completely wrong terminal. This was in the Atlanta airport. And this guy behind me was like, oh, that's a really cool watch. Like, tell me a bit about it. And I, like, we started speaking um, and it turned out that he owned a cosmetics company. Um, and he knew a lot of people that worked in Shea Moisture. And this is a brand I've been wanting to speak to for forever, but I just couldn't get into it. Um, and then from there, he became my mentor. And that, I think, definitely set me, like, gave me some serious pace. Like, that propelled me at least a year or two forward. Because now he was someone who had generated millions in revenue. Um, a white guy, so a completely different upbringing from mine. American, completely different upbringing from mine. 
he was really keen and literally just speaks to anyone so was able to introduce me to other people but again I think there's something to be said for just putting yourself in positions to win and finding a way to get things done like I can't remember what hotel we stayed at but it was not nice actually no I don't think I even stayed at a hotel I rang my cousin and I was like hey can I stay with you I'm coming to Atlanta I've got nowhere to stay can't afford a hotel and she was like yeah come um and I think as a result of that I was able to meet these people so yeah, I think there's something to be said about putting yourself in a position to win, being humble enough to ask for help or to ask for somewhere to stay um, and then running with it. Yeah, 100%. And that comes back to you, right? Like, and the whole thing where you put yourself in places where you're uncomfortable or new, new places. And, um, mm-hmm. and there's something really powerful about new places, if it's Atlanta, New York, wherever it is, even parts of London, right? Like, there's something really powerful about being in new places and being open to people. Right, yeah. never know. People like feel a certain way or something. Talk to me, or like, oh, the next person, why look at me, whatever. Like, be open. You never know. You just never know um, who you are. I was to my housemate um, last week um, about something last year. I think some guys like saying something in the room. They're like, oh, like, oh, this guy, whatever. Like, he's just wearing a chassis or wearing some chains or some cheap chains or something. I was kind of like, so like, ultimately, I'm like, you don't know who you're talking to. You never know who you're in front of. Who you're talking Honestly, to. <laughs> like, I was laughing. I was like, well, like. Oh, like, like, actually, you never know who you're talking to or who's in front of you. You never Literally. know. Someone can change your life forever. And your family. I genuinely think he changed my life. No, I don't think I've ever said that to him. I probably should let him know. But I think he has genuinely changed my life. And it's just born out of a very organic conversation. And for some reason, I was at Jamba Juice because I had two hours to burn. And in the queue to get juice, we started talking. And before I know it, he's telling me about his experience developing products. Um, the fact that he's interested in the natural hair community and so there's there's a value exchange there which i think is really important for mentorship because it's not about just taking all of the information i think what that relationship has taught me is that he had something to give me but then i was also able to give him something back um so we're actually able to have really thorough conversations like we would speak once every two weeks now we speak like once every quarter if we're lucky um but if he drops me a text and asks me to do something i'm going to do it if i ask him if i drop him a text and ask him if i can speak to someone he'll he'll find a way to sort it out so i think yeah there's definitely something to be said for um being open to meeting people and pouring into those who pour into you because that's important 100 percent. 